they just need to stick with Patrick Sharp and that's it. Like, just make yeah. him do it all. Welcome to Where's My Stick, if you're new, and welcome back if you aren't. I'm Danielle. I'm Christy. And today, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, so let's start with the Montreal Canadiens. Okay, so Christy, <laughs> the last episode, I said that the Canadians were good. In my defense... <laughs> In my defense, I have not watched the Northern Division game recently, and if I ha- like when I have, it was the Jets playing like Vancouver or Vancouver playing Calgary or just like right. those three teams. Like I have not watched the Canadians at all. Um, some would say I'm still triggered from the playing round from the Pens and when they played the Flyers. So you know, I think that's fair. In the beginning of the season, they were doing well. Were they, or were they just beating Vancouver? Well, I mean, six and one half, half dozen of the other. Like, if you're still beating your the the teams that you're playing, I think like you know, it can be, it could seem like they're doing well. I don't know, Tyler Toffoli. I felt like he was scoring every game, but it turns out it's just Apparently against Vancouver. <laughs> so yeah, I have to come back and make an adjustment. The the Habs are not good. It's got it got to the point where they fired their coach. Wednesday, February twenty fourth, Mark Bergevin informed Claude Julian that he would not be the coach of the uh, Montreal Canadiens. So Claude Julian is the first coach fired this season. I feel like there's a lot of contenders to be the first coach fired, but it's shocking that he was the first one. Before I get into the details, like, yeah. did this surprise you? <laughs> yeah, like. I don't, like you, I kind of wasn't paying attention to the Canadians unless they were beating Vancouver or playing the Jets. So in my mind, I thought they were perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So when they fired him, I was just like, huh, I thought they were good. But apparently they have been struggling. So very surprising, but I guess not surprising if you actually paid attention to the team, (laughs) which I did not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pierre LeBron. Pierre Lebrun tweeted out, he said, his sense is that the Habs GM still saw effort on the ice uh, and also saw a confused team. Uh, He wanted to intervene before the downward spiral got out of control. Again, this speaks to expectations set for the season. Now, say um, when Claude Julien was fired, Vail Weiss, who used to play for the Canadians, Mm -hmm. he, he tweeted out and he said that oh, well, I guess you won't see too many, like, any more too many men on the ice penalty. So I guess, like, Julian was really bad at that. And I was just like, ooh, spicy. Where's more gossip? More gossip. (laughs) Interesting. There's a couple of takes I definitely want to bring up. But looking at the Habs at the time of Claude Julian being fired, they were 9-5-4. and Um, And that was good enough for fourth in the division. Before he was fired, Claude Julien's team lost three straight, two against Ottawa in OT, and then, well, two against Ottawa, one in OT, and then one in a shootout um, before he was fired. Since then, um, the Habs have lost both of their games. They've been against the Jets. Uh, Their first game since firing their coach, they lost to the Jets three to six. And then the next night, they lost to the Jets um, in OT, uh, and the score was 2-1. to one. 
So uh, a Canadian beat reporter, um, his name is LeVay. Uh, he said, I was told that the loss to Ottawa was not the final straw for Claude Julian and Kirk Mueller. The decision to let them go was made before, and the plan was to announce it today anyway. Um, so, like you said, let's let's look at what possibly went wrong with the Canadians. From what I've been hearing, a lot of people brought up just the fact that the Habs were not good. They're just not a good team. They don't have that star power yet i know that a lot of people will point to nick suzuki and uh kakaniemi that they are up and coming stars and you know that's still to be seen i mean nick suzuki always seems good when i watch him play but other than that there's really no star power besides carrie price and carrie price hasn't been carrie price good season. yeah i he guess i'll say good so he yeah, was at at the time of firing he was 5-3 and 3 with a 2.95 a 2. goals against average and an 8.93 save percentage. Then other people, you know, I mean obviously it's not all on the goalie. So a lot of people brought up the special teams for the Habs and currently at the time of Claude Julien's firing, their power play was ranked 20th in the league and their penalty was ranked 22nd in the league. So there are, I mean, you know, when you look at the stats like that, I mean, you can kind of understand why just overall the Habs team is just not playing up to their, I guess, expectations. But my thing is, like, when you look at the, when you look at the roster, it just, just I don't know. I just don't think that this team looks like they can perform better. Yeah, when you look at the roster, I feel like they're playing at expectation because they don't. <clears throat> they yes, they do have Suzuki, and yes, they do have like um, Kakanyemi, but those are young players, so they're still like mm-hmm. kind of trying to find their groove or whatever. And then you have Philip Deneau, who is good, but I wouldn't want him to be like my first or my my first line center. Yeah, and then you have like, and then you have like Tyler Toffoli, Brendan Gallagher. So like these are all like good players, but they're not they're they're not players that I would want. Yes, yes, they're support players. They're not players I would want on my first line or my second line like all the time. Yeah. So and Carey Price is overrated. We just need to say it, and we need to get there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, when you look at this team, I think. I don't think anyone on this team has scored over like like 70 points in a season. I don't even think anyone on the team has gotten close to that. And I just feel like if you're going to be in the top of your division, you kind of have to have some players like that. And I know that's not, I guess it's not fact, but it's more than likely a team that is at the top of their division has players that break that point threshold. And the Habs just don't have it. Yeah, for sure. And it's so crazy because this offseason, the Habs spent money. They spent money. Like, they were one of the only teams that were, like, signing, like, checks. And, I mean, they got some players like Tyler Tavoli on a discount. Uh, Josh Anderson, they signed him to a pretty big contract. But, I mean, like you said, center depth-wise, who do you really like from that team? 
that's not Nick Suzuki. Yeah, and I feel like nowadays you have to have three good centers, uh, preferably four. <laughs> I don't know. I just think maybe Bergevin, um, because of how they played in the bubble, had expectations a little mm-hmm. too high. Because had yeah. there not been a bubble, they wouldn't have made the playoffs anyway. So, yeah. I wonder if, I like, you know, we, and well, I won't say we, I, I can only speak for myself, but like, I was devastated when the Habs knocked the Penguins out of, like, even getting into the playoffs. <laughs> that, that stung. Yeah. That stung. That hurt. Uh, you hate to see it. But I'm wondering, you know, is this, is this what they deserve? You know, now like thinking that they were better than they were and giving out these contracts. Uh, now they're, they're not where they think that they should be. I don't know. Maybe that's just like a little petty pettiness in my heart coming out. <laughs> no, no I agree. But I think they are suffering and they are reaping the consequences of having a team that out that overperformed last mm. year um and thinking that they could duplicate that because i think even even in the bubble like there were flaws on their roster and i think that they should have saw how they played against the flyers and when they lost and looked at how they that performed team. there instead yeah. of how they performed against the penguins yeah um i, I also want to bring up a point where I've seen Habs fans very happy about this firing. Like they were ready to get rid of Claude Julian, which is surprising to me because I thought Claude Julian was a pretty okay coach. I didn't think that, you know, I mean, look what he did in Boston, but I did hear a theory of people saying, you know, in the bubble when Claude Julian had heart complications and had to be hospitalized and you see how that team played without him there. Uh, maybe that kind of put this bug in Mark Bergevin's ear saying like, okay, let's, this team does seem to be playing better without the coach. Then this season when they have the coach behind the bench, they're not playing up to expectations. That's that's true too. But then in Boston, when he was fired, everybody was just like, this is a stupid idea. This mm-hmm. team sucks. And then after... <laughs> And then after he left, doing, yeah. they're fine. So they're, like they're not going away. Every time you think Boston's gonna take a step back, they take a step forward. It's very annoying. So you know, going from there, Ron Lambert, who is a favorite of ours, he just tweets out the pettiest <laughs> probably. Unless he says something mean about us, which he probably will. He's always shit-talking. Uh, he came out and said, you know, he gave a list of some other coaches who might be on the hot seat. Uh, a few that I know that you are definitely on board with. And so I'll, I'll start. Uh, Jeff Ward from the Flames, who didn't even know the Flames had a, their coach was named Jeff Ward. Uh, <laughs> didn't know that. Travis Green in Vancouver. John Tortorella in Columbus. John Hines in Nashville. David Quinn in New York for the Rangers, uh, Ralph Kruger for Buffalo, and Bob Buchner for the Sharks. Out of this list, like, who do you truly feel is on the hot seat? Like, with their teams, not necessarily who you think should be fired. (laughs) Okay, so who I think is actually on the hot seat? I think Ralph Kruger, 
I think he is on the hot seat because Buffalo is just it's it's miserable over there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's either gonna be Eichel or Kruger. Um John John Hines in Nashville, I think he is on the hot seat. And I think Tortorella should be on the hot seat, but I don't think he is. I think um I think the the GM really likes Tortorella, so I think they um he's safe. So out of all those people, I think the hottest seat is um Kruger in Buffalo. See, I think the hottest uh, or the coach on the hottest seat out of this list is Travis Green. I think mm-hmm. that Vancouver is just kind of I don't I just don't know what this team is. And I feel like the GM a lot of it obviously is on the GM by some of the moves that he's made um, and like the route that they wanted to go. And I think to extend his, you know, shelf life as the GM, you fire the coach. That's who I think is truly on the hot seat. Ralph Kruger, I don't think that he is on the hot seat just because I think the Pagulas really like him. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're so involved just from what I've seen and talked to and, and seen from their fans. The Pagulas are just so involved and I think that they like him. I think that, you know, if he's not, if he moves as a coach, I think he still does something in the organization. And so I don't see that he's as hot as like on the hot seat. Uh, John Hines, I don't think is on the hot seat either because I think Nashville kind of just realized they're, that they're rebuilding. Bad. So, you know, with a coach <laughs> that's just rebuilding, like, okay, like, you know, you don't really need a good coach during a rebuild. Maybe I just think John Hines shouldn't have been hired. No, that's Nashville. very fair. That is absolutely fair. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't say David Quinn because you are always <laughs> I I didn't say him because I don't think he gets fired. I think yeah. the Rangers, if they miss the playoffs or if they take a step back, they have a lot more excuses as to why mm-hmm. they're bad. Uh okay, so with that said, with all the coaches that we've talked about with Mar uh Claude Julian, do you think it's fair for coaches to be on the hot seat during a season like a COVID season? I guess it depends on the situation. Because for me, I feel like does the coach, the coach doesn't decide who plays for the team, right? And a lot of teams this year, they're very, they are very limited in what they can do and the type of players that they can get. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like there are certain teams on, just certain teams on this list that, these coaches could potentially get more out of and they aren't like I feel like Jeff Ward like even though the the Flames do have some holes but I think that Jeff Ward isn't getting the most out of that roster so if he Mm. were to get fired I can see how that would make sense whereas like a team like Vancouver who is not playing that well like they have a lot of questions on the roster and Travis Green can only do so much yeah so I really think it depends. Yeah, I guess I, you know, to an ex- I, I agree with you. I, I guess I'm like reluctantly agreeing with you. Not because I don't think that what you're saying is right. It's just that, you know, this season has put so many stipulations on teams, right? Like mm-hmm. the fact that COVID 
hit last season and that's a the cap's now like a flat cap and that puts constraints on teams and like some of the moves they made in the past don't look great now but that was like you they didn't know that it something like this was going to happen and so I feel like I'll say that and then I also feel like because of the new division sometimes like teams that you know could have been doing better in their original division aren't doing so great now because they're put in a different position different division and I know that the divisions aren't that different but I mean they're different enough that teams that you thought would be better aren't you know, probably aren't playing as great because they're facing harder teams eight times. And so, I don't know, I do do feel like there is a excuse for some coaches, but you're right, I do feel like there are coaches on this list that aren't getting the the most from their players. Last question about coaches. Uh, Do you think Mike Sullivan is on the hot seat? No. (laughs) I mean, mean, he, he... He could potentially be on the hot seat because there's a new GM and there's new um, people in the front office. But the way the Penguins have been playing as of late and the fact that they're still in it, I don't think he's on the hot seat. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I just thought it was an interesting question to raise because he could be on the on the hot seat. Like you said, like Hextall is it, I mean, a new GM halfway through the, not even halfway through the season, most GMs like to have their guy. And mm-hmm. it's not just like the GM is changing, like everybody in the front office is pretty much changing uh, because they've hired more people and stuff like that. So everyone that Mike knew and is comfortable with, you know, is gone. So I agree with you, though. I don't think that he's on the hot seat. I think that he's doing he's doing a lot with this, uh, with this team. And, but there are some holes, which we'll talk about later. So something that has been happening consistently through the month of February are redemption pieces for just shitty players, coaches, and hockey. The first one, it started off with Tony D'Angelo. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me, before I get into each of the pieces, let me just say overall, We are not going to go into depth about the articles. We actually don't have the articles linked because neither one of us read any of the articles. We didn't click on it because we didn't want to give it more attention. We didn't quote tweet it because we didn't want to give it any attention. And what we're talking about now is not specifically the article. It's just like the theme of these pieces and like what they mean in hockey. So if you if you don't really know what pieces we're talking about, unfortunately, we won't have it linked. Um. I'm pretty sure you can find it on Twitter, but honestly, I wouldn't read it for you because, like, if you agree, if you Why? feel like we do, then you wouldn't really want to know. But just a little uh, uh, disclaimer. All right, so starting the redemption pieces, we had one on Tony D'Angelo, which sparked some controversy on Twitter because it's like a lot of people don't want to hear what he has to say, and a lot of people don't feel like it's newsworthy now. I guess the question for anyone would be if you specifically feel like it's newsworthy. I don't because at the end of the day, I don't care. Like nothing he says will ever make me feel like, all right, well, let me hear him out. Like, okay, maybe he had a point. Like, no, you've showed how like shitty you are multiple times in your life. I'm going to believe you. Yeah. And it's only been like two weeks. Like it hasn't been that long for 
him to come out with the story or people to be inquiring about like what's Tony D'Angelo doing now he's not even on a new team like I never want to hear from him again but but say another team were to sign him then then I think that would make more sense to be like oh how are you gonna change this time or whatever but it's it's hasn't even been a month yeah, I feel like that was mostly for his agent, like his agent pushing this because he wants to get into talks with different teams. And I feel like at the moment, teams were like, yeah, I'm not touching that. But then again, maybe not a lot of teams were saying that because I do feel like there were some teams that probably reached out. Probably. <laughs> probably like uh, Vegas or something. Yeah, probably. Uh, then we had Mike Babcock, which we haven't talked about Matt, Matt, Matt Mike Babcock a lot this season. Uh, he started like um, he was on like uh, as an analyst on. I don't think it was like at NHL. Do you know what it network was, it was on? It Sports was NBC. Net? It was NBC. Oh, NBC, no. the sport network. So with like Catherine Tappen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw him on my TV once. Oh, see, I've never seen him on TV. They just need to stick with Patrick Sharp and that's it. Like, just make yeah. him do it all. If, if it wasn't Patrick Sharp, it would be Mike Babcock. And I was just like, where's Patrick? <laughs> where's Patrick Sharp? <laughs> <laughs> he's Patrick always Sharp's doing actually the hockey. pretty good. Yeah, he is. He is. And he's nice to look at, too. Yeah, of course. It's nice to, like, no go Henry into Lundquist, but, you know. Um, but anyway, going back to Mike Babcock, he did a very thorough, like, redemption tour. It wasn't even, like, a piece. It was a tour. He met with a ton of people, um, especially with him on NBC. Like, a lot of people didn't like that, like, understandably so. And they definitely tried to come out with um, a lot of different things to try to show him in a new light. However, a lot of the things that he said never, it was never, like, Oh, I like I apologize for what I did. It was just like, yeah, like I knew I was gonna get fired. So <laughs> I think in the, I think in the because before he got hired by Sportsnet, he came out with an article with Peter yeah. LeBron. Yeah, and I think in that article he was just like, if I were to ever coach again, he would need basically somebody there to be like, oh, you maybe you shouldn't say that, like. Like a um, like like an assistant to basically like watch what he says. I'm just like you're a grown man. Like you should know that these yeah. things are wrong to say to people, to people, and let alone people that you coach. So he never gave an apology. He kind of just like, well, maybe I should have done things differently or whatever. But it's just like, yeah, he's no. never apologized for anything that he's done, which is just even more problematic and he was on he was like speaking to someone and there was a quote which I saw on Twitter so I wanted to bring it up he said did I ever did I ever in my mind try to bully anybody that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of now I also don't didn't know what mental health was (laughs) that's that what what oh but yeah let's all everyone let's like tweet out pictures of him with Bell let's talk which there's, we can go into Bell. Let's talk in another episode. That's a whole mess. But, like, what a mess of, like, this man should not so, be coaching. Mitch Marner was a rookie in, what, 2015, 2016? 
Mm-hmm. So you're st- telling me at your big age, you didn't know what mental health was and things that can be detrimental to mental health. But the Leafs, like, painted you as, like, this huge mental health advocate. It's, it's not it's not adding up. It's no. not adding up. Yeah, it's it's very, very problematic. And then we have Mitchell Miller, uh, who spoke to a Yotes reporter who reports on The Athletic, uh, Craig Morgan. And, like, in the, like, in the quote to, like, set up the article, literally it says, Mitchell knows that no one wants to hear what he has to say. He knows that he doesn't, he's not owed this, like, he, but he, like, changed as a person. And I have not read the article, but a lot of people have said that a lot of, a lot that's in the article is Mitchell referencing that this happened when he was in the, he did this in the eighth grade. He did this in the eighth grade. Not the fact that he, what he did was wrong. It was just like, I was young, I was young, I was young. And I understand that, you know, everyone does shitty things when they're young, but what he did was beyond. Yeah, shitty. Yeah. Yeah, like, it wasn't just, you weren't just, like, a little jerk. Like, you really, like, you mentally and physically, like, assaulted someone and, like, harassed someone. And, like, I mean, degradingly so. Yeah. So, I'm not sure, like, what the point of this article was, um... But it just, it whatever mark it wanted to hit, it missed it by a long shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I obviously, I didn't read the article either. But I, like, everybody does shitty things when they're, like, 13 and they're in middle school because middle school sucks. But I feel like if someone were to call you out on some of the things that you did in middle school... You can be like, yeah, I was 13 or 14 or whatever, but now I realize that that was wrong. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's literally it. So to be like, yeah, I was young, I was young, like, it's not, that's not an excuse. Like, it's still, it's still wrong, no matter how old you are. So, yeah. I don't so with all of that that we've talked about, I mean, the biggest question is, like, what is it? about hockey media that wants to give a platform to people who or want to continually give a platform to people who contribute to the like toxic hockey culture i i think it's just they're chasing a story or they want to be like the first person to um break this story but then i also feel like this is just my own personal feeling on a lot of reporters in hockey they feel like like they feel like cancel culture has gotten too far and that mm-hmm. people should always be given like the second a second chance um and they want to be I feel like they want to be the person to report that mm-hmm. so th- it's not a matter of whether they agree with the person or not but if they can get this story that will have their name out there, then it's better for them. Because I've never heard of Craig Morton until today. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Uh, 
see, I don't even know where to begin to answer this question. I, I think a lot of like you, I mean, I'm Christy knows me and I'm very much a morally black or white type person. Like it's either that is a, that's, that is good or that is bad. And that's something that's, that's just not how life is. So it's very hard for me to answer this question because to me, there is no, like, you don't do that. Like the, I get that people, people's opinions and people should be able to defend themselves. But I think in this instant, a lot of what they did was indefensible. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, you just need to know you were wrong. And what you did was not right. So it's like hard because the only thing that comes up in my mind is that these are white men. And I will say that I've seen some pieces on what like written by white women. And they just it's they're just very tone deaf and like what like what should be done like how to approach certain things like they just I guess it's like very easy for them to see to sympathize with that person because they could see themselves as that person yeah and that to me is a little bit tone deaf Mm -hmm. so I, I think they see it as more of like a story Mm -hmm. as opposed to like this happens as opposed to, to like, yes this happened to someone and that they're victims on the other side of this so like we're just like okay if you write these stories then you're diminishing victims voices mm-hmm. and they don't see it that way there's they see it as like this is a story that needs to be told but it's just like do do you really need to be the person to tell it yeah and like i mean I, with the D'Angelo situation and Mike Babcock situation, you know, getting the victim's point of view is going to be very hard, right? Because mm-hmm. the teams don't want to talk about it. They don't want their players to talk about it. But with Mitchell Miller, it's very easy to go to the victim and to say, like, you know, months later, after all this has happened, has Mitchell apologized? Has Mitchell came to you? Has anything happened? where you felt like he's atoned for what he did. And maybe maybe they didn't want to speak on this. But from what I've gathered, I mean, again, I didn't read the article. There was no referencing of, like, I reached out to mm-hmm. the family. So and, it, and the family who's been very vocal about this. Yes. About, so, and mom was on Twitter being like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. why would you write this? So... It's just, I don't know, like, as toxic as, like, hockey culture is, and we talk about, like, the sport of just, like, how players are developed and, like, the culture in the room and stuff like that, the media plays a huge role in that as well. I think that people can change, and I think that people can grow. Um, I don't think Tony D'Angelo is going to change, whatever, but I feel like... I feel like these articles very much have like an agenda Mm -hmm. um, with them rather than it being like, oh, he's actually like grown. Like these are the action steps, action steps that he's, you know, put in place. 
and then there was to be an article written about him. But I feel like these articles, like Tony wants a job in the NHL. Mike Babcock wants a job in the NHL. Mitchell Mitchell Miller wants a job in the NHL. So giving these people a platform after they were deplatformed, it doesn't it doesn't help for them to see that their actions were wrong. Because in these articles, you're not, they're just, you're not, there's no pushback on what they did. Yeah. It's just like, oh, like, how do you feel after this? Like, it, it's not like, well, what are you going to do to change? Like, how are you, like, do you actually see what you were doing as wrong? Yeah. I mean, overall, these, these pieces suck. Like, don't, (laughs) don't write them I'm sorry like there's no need for it with especially because like you said Chrissy it's not like these players these people are doing anything to help what they did or like to show that they've changed it's just like oh no people want to cancel me which like people who say that cancel culture is real it just don't even like they I don't know what like world they're living in because it's not yeah hopefully as february has come to an end these articles these types of articles will come to an end (laughs) during black history month these articles are coming out of course of course please moving on to the penguins i wouldn't say a lot has changed since we last talked about them let me ask you hersey do you feel like has your opinion on the penguins changed since we've last talked about them no, <laughs> I mean they're <laughs> they're they're still winning games somehow, but I still feel like I don't think they're like dominating games or yeah. that they've looked incredibly well. Like I do see bits and pieces, um, but <laughs> there's still some questions. There's still some struggles. But mm-hmm. Tristan Jari has been amazing, which I like. Yeah, I agree with you. I would say, you know, I was very harsh on the Penguins the last time we spoke. And I still, like, I mean, they haven't done anything to make me think, like, okay, this team is a team that they're starting to catch their groove. Which a lot of that is because of injuries and the teams that they're playing. But they have come out with a few wins. Looking to the future they might be out of like the hardest part of their schedule so with that let's just jump in to some of the new stuff that happened then we'll get into the team specifically so it came out earlier last week that the penguins have named chris Pryor director of player personnel Pryor, who's 60 will help oversee the scouting efforts in north america and europe and assist with all player personnel decisions (laughs) it's so weird for me to, I mean, I don't know how long you've been listening to the podcast. The fact that I follow both the Penguins and the Flyers, it's just weird to see Flyers beat reporters talking about moves that the Penguins make because that Ron Hexall is there. It's just this weird. It's just so weird. So Charlie O'Connor, who is a, the Athletics Flyers beat reporter, tweeted out that as long as Nashville let Pryor leave, he's uh, he was going to go to Pittsburgh with Ron Hextall. They've just been linked together always. And uh, on prior, O'Connor said he's a hell of a talent evaluator and should be a big help to Hextall in Pittsburgh. So um, if you aren't familiar with uh, prior and what 
the moves that he's or the talent that he's acquired um, in Philadelphia with Ron Hextall. There are a lot of players like you hear all the time, Travis Sanheim, um, Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny. Um, there are a lot of flyers, like current flyers roster that they help draft. So a huge help. This is a lot of people say that Pryor is the reason why the Flyers depth is so good. Like, yes, it's Hextall, but this is the guy who evaluates like all of a lot of the players and a lot of the, the players they target in the draft. And the one thing with Philly is that they draft really well at the top, but they also draft well in the fourth round, in the sixth round, in the seventh round they still draft very well and they're able to evaluate when to draft up for a player that they think is going to fall and to really get their guy. Prior is a main part of that and that is a positive addition to the Penguins staff. That's exciting. In the media availability, obviously when they announced Chris Pryor, Hextall met with the media and said, um, that they are parting ways with Dick Clancy, who served as the director of player personnel last season. Um, before that, he was the team's director of personnel personnel scouting for nine seasons and spent the three years prior to that as a pro scout. So Hexall just came right out. He was like, every time I like come into an organization or a new job, I tend to let the people know who I'm letting go very early on so that they can find like they have time to like try to get back on their feet, try to find a new position. Um, he likes to cut ties very quickly so that they, you know. <laughs> and he basically Honestly? said that like Dick Clancy, like, yo, my homeboy is coming in to take your job. And that's just that. <laughs> I mean, Clancy, I mean, the Penguins didn't drop horrible. But, I mean, in the first round they did. Like in the later rounds. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, bye. <laughs> Yeah. Give him a chance. In that uh, media availability, Hexall also said that Patrick Alvin, who was the interim uh, GM for like two weeks, that he's going to stay. And so it'll be the four of them really tr- looking over this roster, figuring out the direction of the team. And when I say the four, obviously it's Alvin, Hextall, Pryor, and Brian Burke. Um that will be making some moves. Uh, Hexy also said that he isn't looking to make any more moves, but with this season and how the season's going, if people become available, then obviously he's going to make, like they're going to assess to see if that's someone to be a good fit in the organization. So, yeah. I'm just excited because the Penguins still have all of their draft picks for next, for 2022 and 2023, which at this time... They wouldn't have had them probably. Yeah, but for now. And I I advise anyone who hasn't listened to that uh, Hexall's media availability to listen to it because Hexall goes into, say, a lot, some interesting things. Like he obviously talked about the things that we've said, but also um, trying to obviously stock the cupboard, but also putting the best team out on the ice that they can right now to win now. And that is always, it's just... <clears throat> It's hard because they always keep saying that, that they're they're not, they're trying to put the best product on the ice right now. 
But the moves that they made, like, you know, bringing in Chris Pryor to focus on draft and like development and personnel decisions, it just seems like they're gearing up for a rebuild, which is what definitely needs to like that's on the radar. But I don't know. Like, it's just like I like I really want Latang and Malkin and Sid to go for that fourth cup, even though realistically, I know this team is not able to get to the cup final like they're just not as the like way the the way that the roster is constructed right now and just like the luck of the team because like injury wise they've been decimated I can see all of the benefits for the future but I'm also not ready for Sid Malkin and Latang to kind of have to be on a rebuilding team and for them not to try to contend Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agree. Also, one other thing that I saw a lot of people were a little bit concerned about in this um, in this uh, media availability is that the last question someone asked, yeah, like what the, this this always happens, and I just wanted to never, I just wanted to stop, but they were like, yeah, like what Tom Wilson did uh, in the game against the Caps. Are you going like? Are you going out to find? Are you gonna let that slide? Can, yeah, like, are you gonna find someone who can like give it back to him, basically? And Hexy laughed, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, like, if you, if we could find a player like Tom Wilson, we would ha- like. I think every team in the league would try to get a player like Tom Wilson. Uh, but he was like, I mean, if there's a player like that available, yeah, we would look for something like that. But, um, you know. Basically, like, kind of just like, yeah, I want a Tom Wilson type player to handle Tom Wilson. But it's like a Tom Wilson type player is very rare. Yes, Tom Wilson can't, even Tom Wilson himself can't beat Tom Wilson all the time. Because he, (laughs) (laughs) because he, whatever, he's like dirty. But then he also puts up points for the cap. So that's why he's so valuable for them. But you can't have both. It's very rare that you have both. Yeah, like, it's, like, you're either going to have one person that fights or you're going to have people, like, skilled players. Like, it's very rare that you find both. And already, especially both that, like, someone who could play in the top six. And, you know, but I, I just, it's just annoying because you don't want that to be the the focus of this team is, like, to finding a player like Tom Wilson um, just to deal with Tom Wilson. You know, I remember when Rutherford went out and got Ryan Reeves, who is a sweetheart, but didn't fit the team's ideology and was scratched a lot of the time and a first round pick on him. And I believe Oscar Sundquist and Oscar Sundquist would be really nice to have on the fourth line while Teddy Bluger's on the third. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, yeah. Okay. So moving on, uh, one of the first moves that Hexall did was pick up Mark Friedman on waivers from the Flyers. Now, Mark Friedman is a guy that Hexall drafted in 2014. So he's basically just bringing over his own guy. Um, but uh, Friedman must stay on the Pens roster at the NHL level or be subjected to waivers again, where the Flyers could potentially pick him back up. From a from a Flyers perspective, Friedman was on the ice with the team practicing when he got picked up from waivers. So they were really trying to sneak him through waivers to put him back on the taxi squad. They were not 
they they didn't want him <laughs> to, to get up. rid of him. No, they, they didn't want him to get picked up at all. And yet he did. So what does this mean for the uh, the Penguins' defense? As they have a lot of defensemen on their roster. So right now. Uh, in the latest game that we saw, uh, Latang and Pedersen were together, Marino, Matheson, CC, and PO. Uh, but then we also have Rue Weedle, Ricola, and Dumoulin uh, coming back soon from injury. So Friedman, where does he really fit in? Uh, that's the biggest question because Friedman is a very, he's a prospect who... Well, you know what? I wouldn't even call him a prospect anymore because he's 25 and he just was not able to stick on the fly at the the NHL level for the Flyers. A lot of Flyers fans thought that he deserved that chance, especially he's a third pairing guy. He's not going to he's not going to be the type of guy that you want on your fourth uh, on your second pair your on your first pair. But he is a solid like I think that if you give him time, he could be a solid third pairing defenseman. He just, he makes a little, he makes a few mistakes, but I think those mistakes work out when you just play at the NHL level and just get used to it. Um, He's way too good to be in the AHL anymore. He's just, oh, yeah, he's just, he just shouldn't be there. Um, I guess, and I'll look at it from a Penguins perspective, he was kind of like a Chad Ruedel where he would get some time up, but he, he never stuck. And um, so with that, it's just it's just interesting to see where he would fit with the flat uh, with the Penguins so like gorged at defense. Do you make a trade because you have room now to do that, um, or do you just put him back on waivers because you know that happens? I don't know because I think in terms of the Penguins defense, like you have a lot of people that are like the odd men out. Like I think Ricola, um, I think I don't want to say Cody CC because he hasn't been terrible, but me personally, I would trade Mike Matheson because he, he's sort of getting his stride. So his trade value would go up. Yeah. I mean, I want that contract off the Penguins books. <laughs> I don't know what Hexall is thinking, but it does look like he's gearing up for something. Yeah. I've seen some people talk about like training a defenseman. Do you move Pedersen? Uh, because he is the youngest. He's 25. He's 24. Uh, yeah. His contract is manageable. Um, and it, unlike Matheson where he's just that contract, no one wants to touch um, except for Jim Rutherford. And, I've even I've even seen people say Brian Dumoulin, mm. which I just think is like, no, you just you don't do that. No, um, Dumoulin is on a nice not. contract. It's not. I mean, it's a little hefty, but Dumoulin is yeah, like he is a steady defenseman that just makes Latang better. So it it does seem like Pedersen is kind of the odd man out. I just don't see teams taking a CC, a Ruido, or a Ricola. Yeah. I just don't see them taking that. They're, I mean, affordable. They're all affordable. And maybe that's the key here, is that teams just want extra depth on their blue line. I don't know. I, a part of me feels would be sad if Ruido left, just because he's always yeah. been here, and he always signs for league minimum, and he's just reliably, 
We know how you feel about Ruby. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? I think the most common thing would be they put Friedman back on waivers. But Aww. who knows? It doesn't make sense for you. the for Hexall to just grab him to put him back. That would be weird. So we'll see. One thing I did hear is that, I mean, I as of right now, I don't know when Dumoulin will be back. I know that at certain points he skated, but a lot of people are saying it seems like P.O. will be the first person to sit once Dumoulin is back. And that makes me a little bit sad. Obviously, you can see because P.O. was playing with Latang, and then they quickly switched him and dropped him to play with CeCe in the latest game where, you know, P.O. had 12 minutes of five on five ice time. And had a uh, 68.75 Corsi 4 percentage, which is very good because you just want it to be above 50. And this is way above 50. So he is doing, he did, he had a good night with uh, CC 5 on 5. Um, and that could just be because they're sheltering him, which is what should happen. Happen. He is a, He's rookie. a child. <laughs> He's going to make some mistakes and you, Nine times out of ten, just have to roll with the punches. And I think that P.O., for me anyway, when the pens were really down and out, P.O. stepped up huge for the team. And I just think that you give him a little leeway because he gave you that leeway when you needed it. What about, like, Marino and P.O.? Like, if when Dumo comes back and then you put Pedersen on the bottom. Oh. I don't know. I thought that Marino would be playing on his off wing, but he's not. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think that they would do that just because Matheson has looked a lot better next to Marino. Yeah. Um, so I don't see that happening. But Marino and Pio is like a pair of the future. Okay. All right. So moving on, it would not be the Penguins if we didn't talk about an injury. Zucker is out long term with a lower body injury. This happened against the Islanders. On the 23rd, the Pens put Zucker on the injured reserve. And Sullivan said uh, some really nice things about Zucker. He obviously wouldn't talk about how long he would be out, but he did say that Zucker is a popular guy. He's a really good person. He's a great teammate. He's totally invested in the Penguins. And at any time a teammate like that goes down, there's obviously concern from everybody because we all care about him. He's one of the quiet leaders, which we don't get to see a lot in the room anymore because of COVID, which is completely understandable. But from what I've seen on their, like, media availabilities, that tracks. Zucker, he <laughs> does try to be, like, a fun guy in the room, and, and he's always taking little jabs at Brian Russ, which I think is sweet. So When he gave him, when he let Brian Russ get the goal instead of him on the energy <laughs> netter, that's when I was just like, oh, he he's good. He's yeah. a good person. He's sweet. So with that, there's a hole on Gino's wing, and that's here's a question. Who plays on Malkin's wing long-term, Zach Aston-Reese or Jared McCann? Who came back against the Islanders at like at the most recent game that has been played at the time of recording? I think you would want to put McCann on there, and then you have Zach Aston-Reese on the third line because it, that... That third line without, I feel like, Zach Aston-Reese can struggle a little bit. Um, yeah, so I would put McCann with Malkin, and then I would put Zach Aston-Reese with um, Teddy and Tanev. Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. I, listen, the last episode, I was just like, 
Zach Nelson Reese, I didn't like him, but you know what? Maybe I spoke too soon, blah, blah, blah. And then Zucker goes down and Zach Nelson <laughs> Reese is put on Malkin's line. And I was just like, no. But <laughs> I agree with you. I think that it's hard, right? Because I'm always so focused on Malkin's line that, like, if someone off Sid's line gets uh, hurt, then they take from Gino's line. But, like, if someone off of Teddy's line gets hurt, they take from... Or if someone off of Gina's line gets hurt, they take from Teddy's line. And I really like that third line together. I think that Zach Asnerys, Bluger, and Tanev look good together. I think that they the best they look is when all three of them are together. Yeah. And so I know that Zach Asnerys really liked playing with Mal- on Malkin's line and like playing with Russ because him and Russ are very close. I know that he liked that, but I do think that so far, I think you put McCann there just because you don't want to mess up that third line. And if we go back to last season, I believe it was last season, McCann, Malkin, and Russ had a few games together and they looked good statistically and they looked good eye, like during the eye test. Now, will that be the same? Who knows? Because Malkin <laughs> is not playing the same as he was last season, which I do want to touch on that for a little bit but I to wrap this up I do agree with you that I think that you put McCann there so you don't mess up that third line yeah and I think it would get McCann going as well because he was kind of struggling before wait did yeah. he play this season he did for like a little bit but his first like he game back he got a goal yeah with Malkin so there you go so real quick um just pointing on two things that we talked about last episode I talked about Malkin a ton and honestly, okay. like, why do you think I have this podcast, everyone? <laughs> like, <laughs> but I did listen to Dmitry Filipovich, a podcast episode about the Penguins. It had Jesse Marshall on there. And Jesse said something really interesting that I didn't, I don't think I like really heard this reason why Malkin could be um, playing as, like as off as he actually is, is because apparently there was no, he didn't really skate a lot in Russia when he went back home. And so coming, like he just wasn't able to get ice. And so the theory is that's why he's just like getting into game shape. He like came in not in game shape. And a lot of his uh, mistakes are, are from a player that's just gassed at the end of his shift. And, like, a lot of the line changes, he will go off. I mean, he's not going off in a smart way, making sure mm-hmm. he gets, you know, the puck is in the right position before before he jumps off the ice. And um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, Dimitri said that he also thinks that Jesse's theory is very is correct because it, he just looks off and the decline wouldn't be this drastic, even if he is taking a step back from his normal production. And so that made me think of something you also said in our last episode, where the fact that they are bringing some, they are, they brought in someone like Brian Burke and how that position of like hockey operations and GM is just a lot for one person to do because Jesse was saying, how in the world was Jim Rutherford not able to get Evgeny Malkin ice in Russia? Like that. But I think that's like, in Russia, I feel like every time a player goes back to Russia, they come back just not just not in shape. 
I don't maybe maybe I'm just like over um, thinking it but I feel like this has happened to like another Russian player before they went back home and they weren't they didn't come back in game shape or am I just like making that up I I mean to be honestly I have no idea what you're talking about so it does seem (laughs) I might just be making making it up Yeah, like, I don't remember this ever happening to another person before. It's very confusing to me, because, like, why wasn't he able to get ice? And if he wasn't able to get ice, why would he stay in Russia? But then again, I mean, he has a whole family, and his wife is like, buddy, (laughs) we're in America nine months (laughs) out of the year. I want to see my parents. So maybe, I I don't know. But I will say that it's just weird that Evgeny Malkin himself couldn't get ice, because he's Evgeny Malkin, and, like, he's very known in Russia. But maybe it is, like, the Penguins organize, like, brink ice time for players wherever they are. Um, maybe that's something that happened and it just didn't happen this year. Uh, who knows? I don't know. But um, that was a theory. And I was thinking, like, maybe this, maybe that is why there is, like, two separate, you know, jobs now. It's, like, the hockey operation side and the GM side and, like, the player personnel side because you know little things like this wasn't getting done and how does that not get done for one of your star players I just and then also like to prove your like to go touch on your point like I don't know what other Russian player this has happened to because it doesn't I mean I don't know I don't watch the caps a lot but it doesn't seem like their Russians are skating off I mean I don't know but then I'm just like it seemed like Russia didn't really close during covid so it doesn't make sense that he did not get access to ice yeah i mean i it's easy to say that here but we're not there that's true too so i mean like looking on his social media it doesn't seem like it closed it doesn't seem like he really (laughs) did that but we're only seeing it from his point of view and like i said malkin is very established in russia so if like I, th- I think, like, he, like, closed down, like, uh, like, a he can um, rent out aquarium a rent. or something. That's what of I'm course. saying. Like, how does he not have, a, like, ice? How do, you, how do you not have a rink that you go to every year? I, I just, it's just weird. I don't know. So, we'll see. Um, Maybe he but was, I just like, thought that was the summer off. And he was, like, we're too. in a pandemic. Like, you can't be asking me to skate, skate. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe he used this this time to like spend with his family, which he rarely gets to do during the season, which that's fair too. Yeah. I just wish he was playing better. That's it. Yeah. So speaking of playing better, the Penguins, since the last time we talked, aren't playing better. They're winning more against teams we didn't think that they would win against. Um and Adam Gretz wrote a really good quote or wrote a really good tweet or thread. Um, and I, the one thing that he pointed out, which I tend to agree, so I definitely want us to d- discuss it, is um, special teams. He said the biggest problem is special teams. It is possible to win with a crappy power play. It gets awfully difficult when the power play and the penalty kill are both crappy. And right now, both are in the bottom six in the league also a big part of why they keep falling behind in games. Looked into the numbers, and he is correct. The Pens' power play is 26th in the league, 
not surprising, but definitely appalling. And the penalty kill is 27th in the league. Uh, so, you know, we we talk about the Penguins, their lines, different combinations, but nothing really. It doesn't. The five on five play. I won't say it doesn't matter, but like he said, the special teams can put the team behind very quickly. And I'm wondering your thoughts on this. Like, what do you think they need to do to do differently? Like what, why is, why is the penalty kill so bad? Like what is going on with special teams? I think it's funny how the Penguins power play is 26 in the league when I feel like last episode we were just like it's a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is. It was it was probably thirtieth when we were talking, and that's horrendous. And ideally, you would want I think a good measure of like special teams is if both of the percentages add up to a hundred. So like you have your power play at around like twenty percent, twenty five percent, and then you have your power your penalty kill at around like eighty. So it all adds up to like a hundred, and the penguins are not there. Um, I think with the power play, it is a little bit better because I think they've been moving things. They're they've been distributing the puck a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the penalty kill, like I just. I don't know. I do think they need a lot of net front presence for the power play, though. And I think that's yeah. been hurting them a lot. Um, I will say, in the last game they played at the time of recording against the Islanders, which was Saturday, they scored a power play goal. Um, and the the loss against the Capitals, they didn't score a power play goal, but they got a shorthanded goal, which, you know... That definitely counts as something. But the game before, they had a power play goal. And Every other game. Yeah. So I do. I agree with you in the sense that the power play is trying to find its its way. It's definitely it's making strides. And if they, if the top unit can continue to, you know, if Malkin shoots from different angles if Latang starts shooting more which we have seen um and Crosby is around that net um behind the goal line or wherever I think that good things will happen when we turn to the penalty kill I'm really starting to wonder what is going on with Todd Reardon because um (laughs) The penalty kill is bad. This is supposed to be what he's supposed to be good at. (laughs) And he's supposed to be good at this. Yeah, like the penalty kill. And like, granted, granted, to have a really good penalty kill, maybe you should just stop taking penalties. Like, why don't you just limit the amount of penalties you take? Which is good in theory, but when you're playing teams eight times a season, that's just, I don't feel like, uh, sustainable. Yeah. So, especially teams like the Caps, and yeah, the and the Islanders, and soon Philly, I do get it. But the penalty kill definitely needs to be better. I mean, there was a there was a point where Chris Letang lost his stick, and on the penalty kill, and none of the forwards gave him their stick. And I mean, obviously, if someone needs a stick when you're defending, it's going to be a defenseman. So little things like that, 
you know, and I do like the aggressiveness of the pe- penalty kill, especially when Bluger and Tanev are out there because shorthanded goals happen. But I also think the main point of the penalty kill is to kill penalties. So that always <laughs> needs to be first and foremost. Do you think it's like who is out on the penalty kill or do you think it's how they are running the system on the penalty kill? I think it's how they're running the system on the penalty kill. I don't think I don't think personnel really changes because they're all nine times out of ten running like following the same system. Right. Like obviously you wouldn't put Gino on the penalty kill. But I'm saying Maybe but they like, should I'm give saying, that a try at this point. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, you want to it doesn't matter if it's uh, Brandon Tanev or Jake Genzel. Like right. the the system is the same. Like if they're attacking, if they're sitting back, are they like where are their sticks? Like how are they gar- helping guard the goalie? And like you know, it's it's a it's a very th- uh, it's a very uh, uh, thin line because like it's like you want to you know, make sure your stick's in the way, but you also don't want to put your stick in a position where they can deflect off and be in, and you hinder the goalie's eyesight. So it's very hard. I mean, I, I don't know the right thing to do. I don't know how to fix this, but I do know that it's an issue that is becoming a bigger issue overall. And like, whereas the power play, like, is definitely an issue, I do see it trending better, but I don't know if I feel like that's the same for the penalty kill. Yeah. I will say getting Zach Aston Reese back is a very good like step for the penalty kill because he's a very good defender. Um, but hopefully they start trending in the right direction because no matter if the Pens get into playoffs or not, the, a 26th and a 27th ranked power play and penalty kill is not going to help you win. Yeah. And then the fact that the Penguins keep winning despite these things is concerning. I don't want them to get complacent because they're winning games. See, I don't know if they... I would be surprised if they are getting complacent because they're barely winning games. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was barely a win against the Islanders. I mean, listen, it still counts, which, oh my gosh, this is so, I was so, like, surprised by this. So, Jenna Harner, who writes for the Penguins, which is not for the Penguins, the team, but she is always on the Penguins, like, call. She's always asking questions. Anyway, she tweeted out, the Eastern Division is wild. Because the Pens have the Isles number because the Pens are 4-1 and one against the Islanders. Which, that doesn't That's seem right. Surprising. <laughs> that does not That's seem surprising. right. Those four wins are all in overtime, I swear. Like, one's in regulation, but they're all in overtime, I swear. Uh, then the Pens have the Bruins number. They're 3-0 against the Bruins. The Bruins have the Flyers number. They're 5-0 and against the Flyers. The Caps have the Sabres a number they're five oh and one against sabers and the sabers have the devil's number they're three one and one and that just is like mind-blowing to me because it sounds like, like i would not have said that bad huh 
It sounds like the penguins aren't that yeah. bad. Yeah, I mean, as at the time of recording, which this changes all the time because it just uh, this the this division is just so tight. They're fifth. They're fifth in the division, but like, like they could jump the Islanders or they can jump Philly. Well, no, they can't jump Philly. So the okay, looking at points percentage, the Penguins are four. They they're fourth they're in the fourth. division, so they're over the Islanders by a smidge. So. <laughs> it's so tiny, so t- so close, so tiny. Uh, so what we need to do is the Pens need to keep beating the Islanders and please beat them in re- regulation. The Islanders and maybe the Caps a couple times. Yeah, but they. They have a good record against the Caps. They do have a better, yeah, they have a better record against the Caps. But I feel like a lot of the games against the Caps have gone to overtime as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when the Caps beat the Penguins, it's in regulation. They just need to stop getting overtime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they do, after this week, they do, think- they should be able to get some wins, the Penguins. Because this week they should. play the, yeah, they, they play the Flyers three times. And then they play the Rangers and they play Buffalo. So I've watched Buffalo play. I feel like Buffalo gets their chances. So I'm a little skeptical. I, I'm just interested to see how the Pens play against Buffalo. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they're going to play against the Flyers because those first two games were rough. And it's been some time now. Yeah. So I want to see. I, I just like, I hate that there's time between games because I get like, I'm like, I get like removed from them playing each other, and then it's like boom, three day, three games in a row, <laughs> and it feels like a nightmare. But yeah, so the Penguins never boring, always interesting. I guess is the word, or is it triggering? Like who knows? There's always something. Yeah, there is always something. All right, so. That is it for us this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe, tell a friend. And if you really like this episode, give us a five-star review if you are listening on iTunes. You can reach us on Twitter at where's underscore my underscore stick. Come say hi, and we will see you next episode. Bye. Bye.